Maria Corp spent the end of 2004 and the start of 2005 weighing her options. She didn't want to end her marriage, but she was also tired of how she was being treated. In February 2005, the choice was taken from her when she was brutally attacked. This sparked one of the most sensational cases in Victoria, Australia. I'm Charlie, and welcome to Crimelines. All right, here we are, another week and another episode. Please remember that on February 25th, I will be doing a live stream with Laura Bricker from Crime Writers On. We are discussing her book, Lie After Lie, and that case in particular. I wanted to make sure I keep reminding people in case you wanted to join us with the book discussion, or if you just want to listen, that's fine too. You don't have to have read the book to join in. The link to the live stream on Get Vocal will be in the show notes. Tonight's case was suggested by Catherine last year, and I want to say thank you to her for sending this suggestion in. As the title indicates, if you noticed, this is a two-parter. So if you are one of those back-to-back listeners, go ahead and save this for next week. If you're listening on Patreon, I will very likely have these both released at the same time, or within a few hours, so you should be good to go. When I do two-parters, I try to spread them out, because this, as you know, is not our usual format. We like everything in one long episode, but sometimes they get too long, and I do have to split them in two. I know I pretty recently did a two-parter, but by the time I realized how long this one was going to be, I was too far into it and didn't have enough time to reverse course and plan this for later. And it was also on my cover soon list for at least half of last year, so I really wanted to finally get to it. I just didn't realize how much there was to this case until I started getting into it. Of the many sources I used, I want to recommend the book The Maria Corp Case by Carly Crawford. And I will leave the name in the show notes so that you can find it later. It was a great read, and I highly recommend it. All right, so let's get into the case. At the center is a woman named Maria Corp, who was born Maria Martins in January 1955 in Portugal. Maria grew up in a huge family. She was one of 12 children, and they lived on a rural farm. The area had no running water, phone service, television, or any of the other modern conveniences that the technology of the 1950s and 60s would allow for. When Maria was 19, she married a man named Manuel de Gauche. In the 1970s, faced with high unemployment rates in Portugal, the couple moved to Australia for new opportunities. They settled in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. Manuel dealt with some homesickness in Australia, and he could envision a future where they went back to Portugal. But Maria loved it, and she quickly learned English so that she could settle in more easily. In 1978, their only child together, Laura, was born, And nine years later, 
Manuel died suddenly of a heart attack, leaving Maria a 32-year-old single mother. Maria did a lot of factory work to make ends meet, which she was good at as she learned a lot about hard work living in such a remote area of Portugal. She lived in one of those places where you ate what you grew and bartered for whatever you didn't. So if you didn't work hard, you didn't eat. So hard work was never an issue for Maria. In 1990, Maria was working in a tire factory and began dating a man she met at work named Joe Corp. There was one issue here, and that was 32-year-old Joe was married to Leone, the mother of his two children. Like Maria and her husband, Joe and Leone had married young in their late teens, Then one morning, after 13 years of marriage, Joe told Leone it was over. He had been gone all night and just came home and ended things. Leone was blindsided. While Joe had mentioned a coworker named Maria a few times, she had no idea he was having an affair with her, let alone on the verge of leaving for her. And Leone didn't know that Maria was not the only affair Joe had had over the course of their marriage. It's likely Maria didn't know that either. After Joe was legally divorced from his wife, he and Maria married in October 1991. In 1993, their son was born. Then in 1999, Maria and Joe were able to buy some property at a rock-bottom price, and they built a shed on the property. They then lived in the shed as they built their dream house. And when I say they built it, I mean that literally. They didn't do 100% of the work themselves, but they did a lot of it. They were both still doing factory work, though Joe was in a supervisory role and Maria did have some savings and property from her first marriage. But they weren't rolling in the money, so they saved a lot on building costs by doing it themselves. In the end, their home and property ended up being worth over one million Australian dollars, even though they didn't spend near that amount on the property or on building the house. While Maria thought they were living their dream life together, Joe was just as unfaithful to her as he had been to his first wife. And when the internet became a thing, Joe was right there in the chat rooms meeting women. His online self was only a passing representation of who he really was. Joe used his real first name but changed his last name. He claimed to be a single Latino man, of which he was neither. He was a married father, and he was of Austrian and Aboriginal Australian descent. And of course, he shaved a few years off his actual age when he presented himself to women online. It's not clear when Maria first learned that Joe was cheating on her, but she definitely knew it in October 2004 
after a woman named Tanya Herman moved nearby. And we know this because Maria began keeping a journal at this point that opened with an entry about the affair. It was right around the time of their 13th wedding anniversary, and her first entry was about finding the lease papers for Tanya's home. They had Joe's name on there as well. According to what Maria wrote, Joe assured her that he wasn't going to leave her. But Maria continued writing in this journal, chronicling Joe's movements, their marital arguments, and her feelings about Joe having this affair with Tanya, who Joe initially said was a coworker. Of course, she wasn't. So let's get into Joe's relationship with Tanya Herman. The two met online in October 2003, where Joe had this fake profile. Rather than being a 45-year-old man who worked in a tire factory, he was a 40-year-old home builder from Spain. Tanya's profile, in contrast, was completely honest. She was a 38-year-old, recently divorced mom of two. Only one of her daughters lived with her, though, since the other had opted to move in with her father. So for the first four months of this relationship, it was all online. They only talked in these chat rooms. Then on February 11th, 2004, Joe drove two and a half hours to where Tanya lived. They slept together that first meeting. Unlike some of Joe's extramarital affairs, this became much more than a one-night stand or a fling. Joe would visit a lot on the weekends. Maria was no longer working at the same factory as him, so he would tell her that he had to go to Sydney for work just to have an excuse to be away for a few days. Joe used the distance to keep Maria from learning about Tanya and Tanya from learning about Maria. And it's not clear when Tanya learned that Joe was married. She has not been consistent in her retellings, but it was likely within a few months of their first in-person meeting. By this point, though, she was so in love with Joe that she readily accepted his line about how the marriage was all but over. He promised he would leave Maria eventually, and then they would be free to get married. Things were just a little complicated, according to Joe. Maria was a devout Catholic, and divorce was not something she would initiate herself. And Joe, well, he had to be careful about how he left Maria because Joe claimed Maria was holding blackmail over his head. While Joe would never get specific about it, he said that Maria had evidence that he did something illegal in his past, something that would get him serious jail time if uncovered. Maria told him that if he left her, she would turn him in. Tanya eventually told Joe that he should just go to the police himself, take whatever was coming. Then they could marry when it was resolved, take that power away from Maria, and be free of her. 
But Joe said he didn't want to go to jail, and he insisted he would find a way out of the marriage. He reassured Tanya that he loved her and only her. And Tanya accepted this. What she didn't know was that Joe wasn't just cheating with her, but also on her, hooking up with other women on the internet. So he was juggling a wife, a girlfriend, and a series of flings. Joe's cover with Maria to be with Tanya was that he was in Sydney for a work trip. One of his covers to get away from Tanya while being with other women was to say he had to go back to Spain to visit family. In August 2004, Joe claimed he had to travel to Barcelona since his mother had a heart attack and was in poor health. Joe's mother was not Spanish. She lived nearby and she was in fine health. Joe spent that period when he was supposedly overseas with another woman. But here's where it goes off the rails a bit. Soon after Joe left for fake Spain, Tanya received a chat room message from a man named Michael. He wanted permission to give her phone number to Joe's brother, Gust, because they had to call her with some bad news. She said yes to giving Gust the number, but begged Michael to tell her what was going on. He wouldn't tell her and said she just had to wait for the call. But then she didn't get a call for the rest of the day. Panicked, Tanya started calling around to find out what had happened to Joe. She even called the Department of Foreign Affairs to try to find out if an Australian citizen had been hurt in Spain. The next day, someone claiming to be Gust called and told Tanya that Joe had been killed in a car accident in Barcelona. Tanya was so hysterical, she had to get a sedative from the doctor. But then the Department of Foreign Affairs called back. No one with Joe's name even had a passport, let alone had some incident in a foreign country. Tanya was confused about what was going on, and then she saw Joe's screen name pop up in the chat room. She demanded the person using that handle give her a call right away. And, well, Joe called her. It was all a misunderstanding, apparently. He hadn't died in the crash, but he had been injured, according to him. Two weeks later, Joe showed back up at Tanya's house perfectly fine, and she welcomed him with open arms. So what was this? Joe faked his own death in a country he had never been in? Was he genuinely trying to get out of the relationship with Tanya, but then he couldn't stay away? Or was this some other type of manipulation, a game to see how much he could get away with? I mean, I can see it going either way. And we will get into Tanya's psychology a bit next week, but suffice it to say, Tanya not only accepted this, she was more invested than ever. After he rose from the grave, Joe and Tanya began making plans for Tanya to quit her job 
uproot her daughter and move in with Joe. It's hard to live together with your girlfriend when you still have a wife who believes the marriage is monogamous. So Joe rented a second house for Tanya and her daughter. He even bought furniture that was nearly identical to what he and Maria had in their house. Tanya then enrolled her daughter in the same school that Maria and Joe's son attended. And Joe bounced between the two houses and the two families. It was around this time that Maria found out Joe was with Tanya when she found the lease. Now that she was on to Joe, Maria started looking at other things like bank statements from earlier that year. She realized that while Joe said he was in Sydney, he was using an ATM near Tanya's old house. She eventually reached out to his boss and confirmed that Joe's job had not been sending him out of town. Maria also looked at the computer, which is somewhere Joe spent a lot of his time, and she found a dating site profile, not just for Joe, but for Joe and Tanya together. This was a swingers website. Maria and Joe argued about his cheating, but he put the blame on Maria, saying that she was not meeting his needs. The only thing in their intimate relationship that Maria turned down was bringing in additional partners. So Maria didn't understand how she was at fault here, but the put-down still stung. Even still, Maria wanted to save the marriage if there was any way to do so. Joe, according to Maria's diary, would go back and forth. It sounded like any time Maria seemed fed up and told him to leave, Joe would suddenly say he wanted to stay and work on things. To Maria, that meant a lot because she believed you shouldn't divorce if there was any hope of fixing the marriage. So she would agree to work on things but her journal made it clear that she was absolutely heartbroken, not just for herself, but for her and Joe's son, Damien. Joe was splitting his time between two families, so he was gone more. He'd promise to do things with Damien and then just not be there. Maria could see the impact it was having on him. Maria hit her limit in late November, early December, when she found out from Joe's mother that Tanya had been introduced to the Corp family. And now Maria was done. One day in December 2004, Joe came home to find his clothes all about the yard and the locks changed. In response, Joe smashed a window to the shed and threatened to break into the house if Maria did not give him his computer. The way Joe was acting scared Maria, so she called the police. The next day, the court issued an intervention order, which is basically a stay-away order, preventing Joe from contacting, harassing, threatening, 
and or assaulting Maria. Now, she did not apply for this order. In Victoria, the police can apply for it on behalf of someone else if they believe that person needs the protection. Joe had to stay away from the family house, so he moved in with Tanya. He told friends that he had separated from Maria, and it was a good thing. Tanya was so much better of a partner. And it seemed like the best solution to Tanya, Maria initiated the split and seemed ready to let go of Joe. But a few days after this, Joe sprung it on Tanya that he was heading out of town. He wanted to visit his older son from his first marriage over the holidays. And the next thing Tanya knew, Joe had packed up and left. She was suspicious, so she called his son. And the son said he hadn't seen his father recently. So Tanya knew. She knew he had to have gone back to Maria. And that's exactly what happened. But within a week, Joe was back at Tanya's house. According to what Tanya told friends at the time, Joe said Maria made him return due to the blackmail, but he didn't want to. But back at home, Joe was reassuring Maria that things were over with Tanya and he was no longer seeing her. He was ready to make the marriage work. It was around this time that Maria started therapy. She had asked Joe to do marital counseling with her, but he would not go. So she was doing individual therapy at this time. She was really struggling with frustration, anger, and depression over the situation. She told the therapist that Joe blamed her for his cheating, and it embarrassed her that she wasn't enough for him. Joe would even bring it up in fights, bragging about Tanya right to Maria's face. Because Maria was processing the issues in the marriage without Joe there to talk her out of her feelings, she began to realize that they were on a course to the end of their marriage. It wasn't what she wanted, but she also knew they could not go on like this forever. But like I said, when Maria would tell Joe to leave, he would suddenly want to make the marriage work. He would even threaten to kill himself if the marriage ended. But Maria did not want to be the one to physically leave. Even in those moments when she was ready to end things, she did not want to give up her house. It was her dream house. She put so much into it and she was facing starting over at 50 years old. Then in January 2005, Joe proposed a solution to their marital issues. He told Maria that he was having trouble staying away from Tanya because he needed to get her out of his system. Not by staying away from her for an extended period to get over her or going on a long vacation somewhere, he actually needed to spend, according to him, more time with Tanya until the passion of the affair waned. After the separation and his time with Tanya, he would come home and be faithful. Never mind that Joe and Tanya had been together 
behind Maria's back and sometimes pretty much in front of her face for two years at this point. Joe supposedly thought that living with Tanya would end their relationship. No real surprise, Joe told Tanya a different story. He told her that he had left Maria to be with her. And this separation lasted a few weeks. But by the start of February 2005, Joe was back home. He told Maria that he had too much to lose in a divorce. He loved her and didn't want to lose her. He didn't want to lose their son, the life they built, the stability it brought. But he told Tanya he was only moving back long enough to sort out the details of the divorce, and then he would be leaving again. At this point, I can't imagine why either woman took Joe at his word. But Maria did have a lot to lose. She had religious beliefs that she felt instructed her to work on things if Joe was open to it, which he said he was. She had a son who was already upset by the separations with his father, and a divorce would clearly not help with that situation. And Maria also had property, joint accounts, and joint debts with Joe. But what did Tanya have that was tying her to Joe? She had a lease, and that was about it. This man did nothing but lie to her. At this point, she had met his family, so she knew he wasn't Spanish. She had to have realized he never had an accident in Spain, since she met his mother and knew she hadn't been living in Barcelona. She knew he lied about his age. She knew he was a manager at a factory and not a builder. She knew he was married with a child. Tanya knew in February 2005 all of these lies Joe had told her. So why did she keep taking him at his word? Tanya's friends and family had the same question. They saw through Joe. They told Tanya, let him go. They didn't like the intensity of the relationship, particularly Tanya's devotion to Joe and how she was willing to accept whatever love and whatever attention he was willing to throw her way. In one way or another, they've almost all expressed the same thing. They characterize it as Tanya being under Joe's spell. There was nothing, seemingly, that he could do that would make her want to walk away. On Maria's side, though, according to what she said in therapy, she was starting to see things for what they were. Joe was not going to change. At her February 1st therapy appointment, Maria said she was done tolerating how Joe treated her. She didn't have a specific plan to leave, from what I understand, but it sounds like she was getting close. Then eight days later, on February 9th, 2005, Maria did not show up to pick up her 11-year-old son from school. He went to the office to call her, but he got no answer. Maria had never just not shown up, and she had a very predictable routine. She left work at 3.30 and was at school by 3.45. 
When Maria didn't show up by around 4.20, Damien called his father to come get him. So Joe picked him up at school, dropped him off at home, and then left again to go look for Maria. When Maria's daughter, Laura, who was an adult by then, got home from work, she found her little brother home alone. It was about 5.30. She asked him what was going on, and he said that Joe had picked him up from school, dropped him off, and then left again, but he wasn't sure what was happening. Laura thought it was odd, but didn't realize her mother was missing until Joe came back and asked her if she had seen or heard from Maria. He said he had been driving around looking for her, thinking that perhaps she had gotten into an accident or maybe even just had car trouble and was stranded somewhere. Laura said she had not heard from her mother, but she wasn't initially worried, even though Joe seemed rather agitated. Joe called around to friends and family looking for Maria, but no one had seen her that day. At 7.40 p.m., Joe went to the police to report Maria missing. According to the initial missing persons report, Maria was last seen at 6.30 a.m. by Joe as he left for work. He told the police that they had been having marital problems and Maria was feeling depressed. Maybe she had left him, but it didn't make sense that she would just leave Damien at school like that. So Joe was concerned for her safety and wanted police help in locating her. One of Maria's friends backed up what Joe said that night. Maria was considering leaving Joe, but she wouldn't have left her son behind. She wouldn't have even left her daughter behind, who was an adult but still lived in the home. And not just her children were left behind. Maria took nothing with her. No clothes or personal effects were missing. Just the stuff she would take to work, like her uniform and her purse and, obviously, her car. When asked if Maria had any enemies, Joe immediately said the only person he could think of who didn't like Maria was Tanya Herman. He admitted that he had an affair with Tanya, but said it was over. He had been in love with her, but he was more in love with his wife, so he called things off with Tanya. The police then called the factory where Maria worked. The person they talked to didn't have access to the time cards or entries to know if Maria had shown up that day, but that person specifically had not seen her. A little before 9 p.m., Joe's brother, Gust, contacted the police. He said he talked to Maria's daughter, and she mentioned hearing a sound that was something like a muffled yell. It happened in the morning around 6.30, and it had woken her up. Joe later told Laura that it may have just been a dream. So that was some good information, but then... Gust kept going. He also said that Joe had called him after Maria went missing and said something like, I think I'm screwed, but he used more cursy language than that. Gust didn't have to ask what he meant because he also had some inside information on Joe's affair with Tanya. 
and he assumed that's what Joe was referring to. Gust had helped Joe with some computer issue, and he saw emails from Joe to Tanya Herman. One email said, I have to do it alone. I don't want you to be involved. But Gust did not have much context for that email. Now, Gust's wife said that Tanya told her she'd kill Maria before Maria would get Joe back. Not only that, but Tanya's ex-husband had recently died. So now Gust and his wife are worried that Joe was involved in whatever was going on. And it was true. Tanya's ex died four weeks before Maria disappeared. But he died at work of a heart attack, and there were no suspicious circumstances around it. He was young for having a heart attack, being in his 30s, but people in their 30s do sadly have fatal heart attacks sometimes. It was what appeared to be an unconnected tragedy, but it was definitely suggestive enough that the authorities wanted to look a bit more into it. However, when they did, they did learn that it was a heart attack. The next morning, February 10th, the morning shift at the department was briefed to be on the lookout for Maria and her car. A memo was sent to the homicide division to give them a heads up on the case. The memo was clear. They were not turning this over to homicide The evidence was not supporting homicide just yet, but they wanted to keep everyone in the loop in case it did get turned over later. So this same day, the police were able to talk to someone at the factory who could look up the time cards and learned that Maria had never made it to work. But then they learned something else interesting. Maria had taken a half day off the day before she had to go to the magistrate's court. In checking with the court clerk, they learned that Maria and Joe went together to ask for the intervention order to be lifted. Even though Joe moved back home while it was still in place, they had never gotten it dismissed, and now they wanted to. But the clerk noted that Maria seemed uncomfortable. It wasn't any big thing, but just a sense she got. So speaking with Maria privately, she suggested that they ease some restrictions like allowing Joe to contact her, but they keep in the things preventing him from harassing and assaulting her. The clerk told Maria that if she wanted to do that, She would tell Joe that it was the court procedure and nothing Maria could control. This was clearly a court official who has either been through this situation before or had quality training in intimate partner violence and knew how to handle a situation like this. Maria seemed grateful at the suggestion, so when they left, the intervention order was still in place The restrictions, however, had been loosened. I'm sure it occurred to investigators that it was really quite the coincidence to have the no-contact portion lifted just in time for Joe to call the police 
to report Maria missing. Had it not been changed just the day before, Joe would have been admitting to violating it and could have been arrested. But lucky for him, he and Maria changed it just in time. The same day the police learn this, a friend of Maria's named Gail came forward. She had a bag of items that Maria had given her. Inside the bag was evidence of Joe's affair. It had the bank statements and ATM receipts showing that he was in Tanya's hometown and not Sydney all those weekends. There were photographs of Tanya that were sexually suggestive. Maria's diary, which was written mostly in Portuguese, was also in there. There was a fake police badge with Joe's picture on the credentials. And oddly, there was a gray pipe with a dishcloth stuffed in it, wrapped in duct tape in the bag. The significance of this was not immediately clear, but it would be soon. Gail told the authorities that Maria had given her the stuff and said if anything happened to her to take it to the police. Another person going into the police that day was, again, Joe's brother, Gust. He told the police about how Joe met women online and cheated on Maria throughout their marriage. He said that Joe's relationship with Tanya had not ended like he claimed. Just four days before Maria went missing, Joe and Tanya hosted a swingers party at the home they rented. Gust knew about this because one time, when helping Joe with his computer, he put some type of monitoring software or something like that on it, so he was able to watch some of his brother's online activity. Gust said he told Maria to check Joe's digital camera for proof that he was still seeing Tanya behind her back. He said Maria was disgusted by this. But before this, at some point in January, Maria went to Gust and said she was worried Joe intended to take his own life. Joe had asked her to tape a hose with a dishcloth on it to her car's exhaust. He said it was to check the oil level, which didn't make any sense to her. Maria was genuinely worried he was going to gas himself. But Gust saw it differently and told Maria as much. Having Maria put it on would have gotten her fingerprints all over the tube. Gust told her that he didn't think Joe was trying to kill himself. He thought Joe wanted to kill her. On some level, Maria must have believed Gust enough that she put the tube in the bag to give to her friend just in case anything happened to her. And the reason she may have believed him may have to do with something else Maria told Gust and his wife. Joe had started making Maria her coffee, which was something he hadn't done before. But each time, it tasted funny. This was all a big red flag because Gust also said Maria told him Joe forced her to write apology notes that read like suicide notes. And with Maria now missing, all of this seems to have a lot of significance. 
Now, the next part of Gust's statement is in contention. According to the police, Gust said, Joe asked if he could have a hit placed on someone for $20,000. And Gust believed that Joe was serious when he asked. But Gust said later that that was actually a misunderstanding. And due to his own literacy issues, he couldn't read his own statement back to verify that it was accurate. He said what he had actually told the police was that Joe came to him complaining about $20,000 that was missing from the couple's accounts. Maria had gotten involved with some sort of spiritual, mystic, psychic person and paid him and or his group a large sum of money. What Gust said was that Joe vented that he could have hit Maria for burning through that much money. The hit mentioned was a physical strike, not hiring a killer. And he clarified that Joe never did hit Maria, it was just venting his anger. Gust would also later backtrack from even more of the statements to the police, like the apology notes that looked like suicide notes, the funny-tasting coffee, even the tube with the duct tape and the dish rag. He did actually tell the police these things, but it was all based on what Maria had told him, not personal knowledge. He claimed that he later learned that Maria was telling Joe's family all sorts of lies about what was happening. So he couldn't be sure any of this was true. It was all just based on what Maria said. But all the qualifications and changes in Gust's statement would come later. On day two of the investigation, they had all of these stories from Gust. And Joe's sister Val backed up some of what was said. She said Maria showed her a white powder that she found and thought Joe was putting in her coffee. Val also said that in late December, Tanya told her that she wished Maria was dead. And when Val brought this up to Joe, he said Tanya didn't mean it. She was just angry. It was venting, not threatening. But now with Maria missing, Val couldn't be so sure. So with this new information, the police sat down with Joe to get a full statement. And he said Maria had found out about the affair around six months previously and was, as you can imagine, unhappy about it. But it was over. That January separation to get Tanya out of his system had worked. Joe and Maria were fully reconciled after he moved back in. And obviously, Joe didn't know that his brother had already told the police otherwise. The authorities didn't play this card just yet. They asked Joe if he thought Tanya could be involved in Maria's disappearance, and he said he didn't think so. But he also didn't think Maria left of her own free will since things had been going well for them and she had left everything behind. And then he also denied that he had any involvement in whatever had happened to her. Joe also didn't believe that Maria would have hurt herself because it would go against her religious beliefs. 
and he also didn't see any signs of distress that morning. When he left for work, Maria was happily making their son's school lunch in the kitchen. So Joe had pretty much discounted every theory the police had. He did give the police permission to search his house, his property, his phone, car, bank accounts, whatever they needed. They then asked about his computer. And this is where Joe hesitated. But he did say they could search it, but only while the computer was in his home. He did not want them to take it. After Joe left the station, an officer followed him. Joe obviously did not realize that he was being followed because he pulled over and threw a white bag in a trash can along the road. The police recovered the bag. There were a bunch of things in the bag, including a balaclava, a.k.a. a ski mask, a vial of white powder, pills, receipts, and photographs of computers, which turned out to be stolen from Joe's workplace. I have not been able to track down any information on what the white powder ended up being. I see it mentioned, but not with the outcome of the tests attached. So Joe went from the trash can to his home where he found the police searching. He almost immediately confessed to throwing away that bag. He said he felt guilty about it, but that it was just letters and photos in there, but he wouldn't say any more about it. At one point during the search, Joe was found in his closet. He was asked what he was doing in there, and he said he was cold and he was getting a jacket, but he had been seen holding a pair of shorts. The officer searched the pair of shorts, and he found a key from Joe's workplace. It was a key he wasn't supposed to have. After a string of thefts, where there was no forced entry, the company had confiscated from middle management all these keys. Somehow, Joe managed to hold on to one. So photographs of stolen property, plus the key that gave Joe access to said property, were in Joe's possession. This became an investigation within an investigation. They were primarily looking for Maria Corp., and evidence of what happened to her, but they were also now investigating these stolen items. While still searching Joe's house, the police arrived at Tanya's place with a search warrant in hand. All they found was more evidence of the affair, like love notes, but they brought Tanya down to the station for questioning. As for her relationship with Joe, she directly contradicted him. He and Maria had not reconciled, according to Tanya. If anything, they were closer to divorce than ever before. She and Joe would then marry once it was final. Tanya repeated that whole thing about how he only lived at the house because he was afraid of Maria's reaction if he tried to leave. Tanya said that she had, in fact, seen Joe on the morning Maria went missing. She met him at his work during his morning tea, which is what we would call a coffee break here in the U.S. My translations are helpful, I know. Tanya brought Joe a snack, and they just chatted in her car until he went back into work. Then Tanya called him sometime around lunchtime, 
to ask if he needed her to pick up anything from the store. Everything seemed like a completely normal day. The investigators decided to throw Tanya a little curveball, knock her off her balance a little. They told her that Joe said that he did love her, but that he loved Maria more. And they asked Tanya if she was surprised to hear that. And this strategy worked. Tanya had clearly been hurt by what Joe said. She said she didn't know why he would have said that, since they were planning a future together. But she was sure to clarify that the future would come after a divorce. Joe could never have hurt anyone, and Tanya denied knowing anything about what had happened to Maria. Tanya then went home and started calling and texting Joe. The police had gotten under her skin. She seemed to want reassurance, but Joe was not responding with much of that. The next morning, Joe called the police. He told them that he was going over to talk to Tanya to tell her to leave him alone. He just wanted the authorities to know why he was going there in case they saw him and thought it was some secret rendezvous. Maybe Joe was wise to being followed at this point. Regardless, Joe wanted them to know that he and Tanya were not still together. Later that day, there was a press conference held to get Maria's info out there, including a description of the car. And this case was one that quickly got picked up by the media. Laura, Maria's daughter, did the press conference while Joe did a radio interview. Then on Sunday, February 13th, four days after Maria had disappeared, her car was found. A gardener in the area around the Shrine of Remembrance War Memorial in Melbourne noticed this car parked on the road and he thought it looked like the car the police said they were looking for. So he wrote down the registration number and gave it to an officer who was in the area. At 10.30 a.m., it was confirmed to be Maria's car. The doors were locked and the windows rolled up. There didn't appear to be any damage to the car, but there was an awful odor coming from the trunk. When they popped the trunk, they saw what they expected to see, at least at first. Maria Corp was lying on a red plaid blanket. She was bruised and battered. Assuming she was dead, one of the responding officers got closer to Maria to check for sure and saw her chest rise and fall. Maria, after four days in a trunk, was actually still alive but barely. The officer, Narelle Fraser, climbed into the trunk to cradle Maria and reassure her as emergency services raced to the scene. And this officer, Narelle Fraser, has her own podcast now called Narelle Fraser Interviews, and I recommend it. She has become an advocate for PTSD treatment for police officers after her own experiences which include finding Maria in that trunk. Maria was unresponsive when she was rushed to the hospital. She had injuries to her face and a bruise along her neck that appeared to be from the strap of a bag. Someone had tried to strangle her. 
The doctors did not initially believe Maria would survive more than 24 hours, even with medical intervention. Her brain had been starved of oxygen for too long as a result of the strangulation, and parts of it had already shut down. She also had head injuries, and she was severely dehydrated. She had a deep pressure sore, also called a bed sore, at the base of her spine from lying in the same position for days. With Maria in the hospital in critical condition, her car and the area around it was searched. Maria's purse was found on the floor on the passenger side of the car, and on the passenger seat was some pens and paper as well as what looked like Maria's molded-over lunch from the day she went missing. Maria's cell phone and her wallet were not there. When Joe was told Maria was found alive, he was thrilled. He thanked the police for finding her, and he wanted to go immediately to the hospital. However, he was barred from doing this. Joe was obviously a person of interest, maybe even considered a suspect at this point in Maria's attack. They didn't want to give him access to her, the chance to possibly finish her off in the hospital. So the police had the restraining order reinstated in full. Joe wasn't going to get near the hospital, and he was not happy about it. Tanya was then brought into the police station and told that Maria was found alive. The investigators wanted her full alibi for the day of Maria's disappearance. Tanya said she was home with her daughter in the morning until she brought her to school. Then she went to the store, she met Joe for morning tea, and then she went to the market again around lunchtime. The police then asked Tanya about something Joe's sister Val had said, that thing about Tanya wanting to kill Maria. Tanya said that was not how the conversation went. It was actually Val who brought up the idea of killing Maria, basically saying that was the only way Tanya could have a future with Joe. Tanya had laughed it off, but she thought Val may be serious since no one in the Corp family seemed to like Maria much. And after continuing to deny involvement in the attack on Maria, Tanya was free to go. The next day, which was Valentine's Day, so February 14th, Tanya kept texting Joe and he kept ignoring her more or less. Joe also did an interview that day saying that he, of course, hoped Maria would pull through and that when she did, she would be able to exonerate him since he had nothing to do with this. Tanya was hearing from the police and these other interviews Joe was doing that he loved Maria, that he was devoted to her, and how they had only just patched things up when tragedy struck. And she would then reach out to Joe for some reassurance and he wouldn't want to talk to her. He did respond here and there, but nothing like their usual communications. And maybe Joe's silence over time would have eventually broken the spell that Tanya's friends said he had over her. But we don't have to wait for that because Tanya's brother Steve came forward on the night of the 14th. 
Steve was one of Tanya's relatives who did not like how involved she was with this married man, a married man who talked about how sick he was of his wife. Steve said he heard Joe say Maria was controlling and he wanted to kill her. Steve didn't take that kind of talk too seriously. He thought it was, again, venting. I think we've said that word a few times. But a day or two before Maria's disappearance, Steve talked to Tanya, and she told him that she was going to kill Maria, and she told him how she was going to do it. She gave him details, which we're going to get into, but the most important one at this point was that Joe was involved. He was going to pick Tanya up and bring her to his house so she could attack Maria in the garage when Maria was trying to leave for work. Then she would leave Maria's body in the car and park it near the Shrine of Remembrance. But Steve said he didn't think Tanya would actually do it because she just really wasn't the type. He told her for the millionth time that she needed to dump Joe and, in his words, find someone normal, and he more or less blew it off. That was until the morning of February 9th when Tanya showed up at his work. She was flushed like she had been running, but said she was out that way for a job interview, even though she wasn't really dressed like it. She wanted Steve to give her a ride home. Steve said he was in the middle of something and suggested she take the train. But Tanya said she wouldn't get home in time to get her daughter to school, so she insisted on getting the ride. Steve drove her home, and that's when Tanya admitted she had killed Maria. At least she thought she did. There was a weird noise from the trunk, and she said something about going back to make sure Maria was dead. At this point, Steve still wasn't sure he believed Tanya since he knew her to lie at times. So he drove out to the shrine over the weekend Maria was missing to look for her car himself, but he couldn't find it. Steve didn't initially come forward when Maria went missing or when his sister told him this stuff. Family members do sometimes hesitate to come forward. Some of them never will. It feels like a betrayal. But when Steve saw Joe playing the grieved husband on TV, it occurred to him that if it happened the way Tanya said, Joe had it set up for her to take the fall and for her to do so alone. Steve wanted the police to have the full story of Joe's involvement. So the day after Steve told all of this to the police, the case blew up in the tabloids. It was already a popular case in the media. It had all the markings with the love triangle and the husband and the mistress being on swingers' websites. But then Maria's picture was found on one of these websites, an adult matchmaker site. It had been posted nine days before Maria's disappearance. It advertised that she and Joe were a happy couple and they were looking for a woman or a couple interested in hooking up. And this was the same website that Joe and Tanya had a profile. Joe claimed that the picture was put up because Maria had agreed 
to open up the marriage together to try to meet his needs. Though others have said they don't believe Maria would have done this, and even if she had consented to an open marriage, they don't believe she would have been okay with being posted online like that where anyone could see it. The police had to look at this as a possible setup theory. Was this planted ahead of time to make it look like Maria was meeting men off the internet? That would open up the suspect pool, even though, thanks to Steve, they had a pretty good idea of what happened and who was involved, and they were getting the evidence to prove it. On February 16th, Steve went over to Tanya's place around 10 a.m. to talk. What Tanya didn't know was that he was wearing a wire. He managed to get her to repeat the story that she killed Maria, but that Joe had set up the whole thing. He convinced her to go to the police. Everyone would see that Joe manipulated her and they would stand by her. Tanya was pretty close to turning herself in anyway. She had arranged for her parents to come pick her daughter up already. She knew once she confessed, she wouldn't be coming home. Just because friends and family stood by her didn't mean Tanya wasn't headed to prison. So she wanted to get her daughter squared away first. As Tanya and Steve were wrapping up their chat, the police were already at Joe's house to arrest him for attempted murder. Tanya then drove her daughter over to Steve's house where their parents were waiting. After dropping her off, Tanya's plan was to go to an attorney and then go to the police, but the authorities showed up at Steve's house shortly after Tanya arrived. She was arrested on the spot. Tanya agreed to speak to the police, and she told her story that day over the course of four hours. The main theme of Tanya's story was that Joe was behind this. She didn't want to kill Maria. She wanted Joe to leave Maria. That's all she wanted. But Joe told her this was the only way they could be together. It would show how much she loved him and so on. But whether she wanted to do it or not, Tanya did try to kill Maria, and she told the police exactly how. We are going to get into the details of her confession and the aftermath next week. And trust me, there's a lot of aftermath. For those listening on Patreon, you should see the second part up already or very soon. For the rest of you, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this case so far. Feel free to reach out on social media, but definitely check back next week to hear what comes next. Thank you for listening. You can find Crime Lines on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Crime Lines True Crime. Crime Lines is on Patreon, where I offer early and ad-free episodes, as well as bonus content. Visit patreon.com slash crimelines. If you want to buy me a coffee, the official drink of Crime Lines, you can give a one-time donation at basementfortproductions.com slash support. I also live stream two or three times a month on Get Vocal. To see my upcoming live stream schedule, follow the Get Vocal link in the show notes. And if you need a palate cleanser after listening to heavier true crime shows, check out Rusty Hinges, an allegedly funny history, mystery, and true crime show 
that I co-created and write for. 